Thanks for sharing. And so is a great story. Welcome to the Kiwi Foodcast, the show where we sit down with chefs, food businesses, food writers and more to share the stories behind the food they serve. I'm your host, Persan Patel, and this show is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Let's dig in, everyone. Welcome back, everyone. Summer is here, and that means it's time to talk about one of my favorite things to eat, ice cream. Today on the show, we have Murray King of Applebee Farms. Murray and his partner Julian are third-generation dairy farmers. In 2017, they did what no one expects from two farmers and went into the ice cream business. From cow to cone, their whole process is a labor of love. Today, we talk about dairy farming, A2 milk, multi-generational businesses, and the benefits that come from owning the whole process of creation. Without further ado, let's welcome Murray. Hi, Murray. How are you? Uh, hi, person. I'm really well, thanks. Thank you. And I think it's um, important to tell our listeners where you are at right now, sharing, um, recording this podcast, <laughs> because it's one of the most unique ones I've done so far. Hey, uh, look, I'm a farmer in my day life. So uh, we've got a number of farms uh, in Nelson and in North Canterbury, and I'm on uh, the side of the road, actually, in North Canterbury, um, talking to you right now. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I've never recorded with someone who's parked at the side of the road. So thank you for doing this for me. <laughs> no problem. All righty. So Murray, tell us a little bit about your childhood. Do you have any really amazing food memories to share growing up? What was it like? I mean, I'm assuming you grew up on the farm. Yeah, so uh, I guess this shows my age a little bit, but I grew up in the 60s and 70s, So, um, and, and we grew up on a farm, <laughs> so um, in the countryside, although we're not too far from town, but uh, I guess things were a bit simpler in those days. We certainly ate a lot simpler food, but um, just thinking about it, I guess um, food memories, so things like uh, fresh food, and if there's one thing that stands out in my mind is that uh, vining peas, so green peas. Uh, they used to be grown a lot around the countryside, and the way they harvested them was that they would cut the vine, the whole pea plant, and they would cut the whole plant, the whole vine, to the viner, vining factory where they would strip out the, the peas. And what would happen is that they would drop off the side of the truck on the road, and we would pick up these uh, these peas off the side of the road and get fresh peas. When that wasn't happening, I guess kids, as kids do, uh, we would jump the fence and um, and help ourselves anyway, and I guess... It was a little bit of a thing that was uh, seen as um, quite adventurous and a little bit risky, but um, I guess we used to pull for a little bit. That's amazing because um, the only way I've eaten my peas is off a frozen bag. So <laughs> I really like your version much better. Yeah, yeah. so uh, we, I guess we were lucky we had uh, stone fruit and apples and other, other crops around, and so uh, we would tend to help ourselves a little bit. I shouldn't be telling you all that, should I? <laughs> so, um, you know, tell us a little bit about the land, because I was reading on your website that your families have owned the land that you now work on for 170 years, is it? Yeah, so in the case of Julian's family, they have been in the area for 170 years. They were original settlers. In our case, we're much much, uh, much newer than that. And, uh, and whilst my family have been farming for probably almost that time, uh, the farm we're on now is only really around uh, 60 or so years that they've, uh, my family have been there. So the two families, the Reigns and the Kings, uh, are pretty well known to each other. They've both been involved in the dairy industry in the Nelson region for a long period of time. 
Okay. And did you always want to, you know, grow up and be a dairy farmer or were you ever enticed by, I don't know, the thrill of the big Auckland smoke? <laughs> I, I, I love farming and uh, and was always in, enjoyed farming, but I really didn't love milking cows. And so I never expected that I would be a dairy farmer. I thought I would be a farmer of some sort, but uh, I just really just didn't enjoy the, the grind of milking cows every day. I don't mind it from time to time, but uh, but just the trudgery was something that I was... Uh, was keen to avoid. So I actually uh, did different things. After university, I worked as a farm management consultant for a number of years, and then I travelled and uh, spent a reasonable amount of time uh, looking around the world doing my OE. Okay, that sounds fun. And then when did you come back? Um, and did you always just want, knew that you wanted to come back and settle into Nelson? Yeah, look, hey, Nelson's a great place, and, uh, and New Zealand's an awesome place to live as well so uh, was really keen to come back I came back temporarily actually because I'd used all my work visas everywhere and so uh, it just so happened that the farm manager on the family farm had decided it was time to do something different and I said that I'd look after the farm until they found another manager and that's about 25 years later I'm still there um, <laughs> Clearly, the recruitment company did something wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I went through a process. So, Sarah, my wife, and I, we we bought out the rest of the family, and uh, and we've grown our farming business from that over the last twenty twenty five years. Awesome. So, I'm um, just talking a little bit about the dairy farming industry. You know, like I feel in the past couple of decades, dairy farming has ended up getting such a bad rap. Like, could you tell us your thoughts on what's happening there and why that's happened? Yeah, there's a couple of things. Uh, the first thing is that uh, 20 years ago, uh, we were looking at the formation of one mega cooperative as in Fonterra. And so all of the emphasis was on focused on how we might build this, this mega cooperative. Uh, at the same time, there was growth in the industry. And so there was a lot of land being converted from other land uses into dairying. And that was mainly because the other land uses weren't able to show a, a return of any sort, and dairy was a ray of hope. So the focus was on growth, and it was on converting land. And with that came the downside with impact on the environment. And that really comes about in a number of ways, but mostly around the use of water, uh, but more importantly around uh, nitrogen and other nutrients leaching into groundwater. Now that we know that that's an issue, um, for the last 20 years, we've been trying to, to address that. But about that time, uh, organisations like Fish and Game said, hey, there's a problem here with water quality, uh, and they launched their Dirty Dairy campaign. Unfortunately, the industry sat back and let it, let it evolve uh, because they were focused on all the other things about building the, the cooperative and what have you. So I think that it it got us ahead of steam and it got ahead of itself. But certainly if we look at the work that farmers have done in the last 10 years especially, uh, it's it's completely different to what it used to be. And I'd really urge people to think about actually what we do in New Zealand compared to other countries. So 95% of the world's dairy cow population, certainly the Western world's dairy cow population, either live in a corral or in a shed. Uh, they operate in confinement. They are like pork and poultry farming. So they are industrial factory farms. Whereas in New Zealand, we have the benefit of a temperate climate and our animals are allowed to stay or able to stay outside all year round. And so, you know, from an environmental point of view and from an animal welfare point of view, I believe that we actually have a much better and much robust 
farming systems where animals are actually allowed to virtually roam free but certainly express a lot of natural behaviours. I kind of agree with you there because, I mean, so I moved to New Zealand about 2002 um, as a teenager. And uh, the first thing I noticed when I came here was, one, there's a lot of cows, but um, also that the cows just are just so much more healthier and they look like animals. You can see them around on the pastures, like you said, you know, they're not kind of in a shed um because if I've seen some of the kind of way milk is produced in India and it's just a huge contrast to how it is over here. So I would uh, kind of tend to agree with you there that we treat our, you know, our cows and the farming industry is much better over here to begin with. Yeah, I absolutely believe that. And uh, it's not just it's not just dairy farming. It's all forms of farming. We have, uh, you know, clean air relatively clean water you know by comparison it's still a lot cleaner than many parts of the world uh, and and we have animals able to express natural behaviors but what that leads to is it leads to a really high quality product and so mm-hmm. our food and fiber that's produced in this part of the world really is you know a step above most other places so what does it mean then to own a sustainable farm like um you know how do you get Get, get going with these processes and how do you, like you were talking that you kind of, you know, it took you a while to move your cows to all being A2 cows and getting A2 certified. What else did you have to do to be- follow, I guess, become more sustainable? Yeah, well, uh, to be to be honest, not a lot. And, uh, and that's because actually, believe it or not, we do farm reasonably sustainably anyway. And what's really interesting is that there's a lot more talk about regenerative farming, right? And actually, we, we virtually are regenerative now uh, insofar mm. as the way we operate. And it's really important that people understand that the carbon cycle and the, and the nitrogen cycle, animals are a critical part of that where, um, you know, carbon goes through plants, then goes through the animal and it's excreted and it goes back into the soil and feeds the microbes and grows the grass. And so it, it is a, a, a completely natural ecosystem. We have just modified it a little bit. And so New Zealand farming systems uh, with rotational grazing, essentially we are mimicking what would have happened in the wild uh, for centuries, well, for millions of years for that matter. And so we haven't had to do too much different other than be respectful and be rem- and be mindful of what we're doing and what our impacts might be. So, for example, we are a lot more targeted with how we apply our nutrients uh, to our soils. Uh, we do a lot more precision type farming so we only apply what we absolutely have to and that's based off uh, soil testing and fertiliser recommendations. When it comes to things like uh, irrigation for example uh, we use sensors in the in the soil to determine or tell us how much soil moisture is there and when to irrigate mm-hmm. and we, 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 we combine that with other data from the likes of our weather stations and forecasts to work out when it is that we are going to want to um, or need to irrigate. So what we're trying to do is essentially avoid waste. And from a sustainability uh, point of view, we're trying to avoid or minimise waste wherever possible. And waste can be many things. It can be just uh, nutrients washing through the soil profile. And, of course, that's not of any benefit to anyone. It it ends up in the waterways, and it's a cost to the business. So trying to just uh, manage a system so that um, everything stays within the system uh, is essentially what we're trying to do. With respect to A2, that's another story altogether. But uh, 
Uh, yeah, I was, I was going to get to that actually and ask you to maybe just tell our listeners what exactly is A2 Milk because I feel like it's just kind of exploded suddenly and now suddenly everyone's talking about A2 Milk, but um, I'm sure it's been around for a while. <laughs> uh, it's been around forever, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so what's happened though is that once upon a time, all dairy animals did produce A2, A2 Milk. And in fact, goats and sheep and everything, it's A2, uh, beta, uh, beta casein anyway. But but uh, some time ago, a uh, hundred or two years ago, somewhere in Europe, there was a mutation which which allowed the A2, sorry, the A1 gene to, um, to come to the fore. And so what you've got is you've got animals who do one of three things. They either produce an A1, A1 protein, an A1, A2 protein, or the A2, A2. And so the A2A2 is the one which we are really focused on because there is some scientific evidence to suggest that it is beneficial to people and certainly you don't get the same challenges that some people have with digesting dairy products if they focus only on the A2A2 protein. So what we do is we um, we screen all of our animals and um, in our business we actually uh, DNA profile all of, our, all of our animals. So when they're a calf... Uh, they get a tissue sample taken, the DNA is extracted, and we use that for two things. The first thing is to determine their parentage, so we to, to know who the, the sire and the dam are, so we can guarantee that that is their, their parents. And that's important from a genetics and animal um, uh, improvement point of view. Uh, and the other thing we do is then test for the A2 gene, and if they don't carry it, well, we keep them separate. So we still farm farm both, and and the key thing here is that dairy products, even if it's A1, got A1, it's still not a bad product. It's just that A2, A2 is slightly better, or certainly perceived right. to be. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Thank you for sharing that. So moving on from the industry to talk more about you, how did you guys come upon the idea of making ice cream of all things? <laughs> like it feels not like the natural progression. Maybe, you know, I've heard about dairy farmers moving into cheese or yogurt, but um, not ice cream. So tell us about that. Hey, we, we looked at all of those things, to be honest, person. And, 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 uh, we were looking at a way of actually generating a better return for our product. And so we go to a lot of time and effort and trouble to produce a high quality product. And it's a little bit frustrating to see that it just gets turned into a commodity and isn't really uh, respected for what it really is. Mm. Although I think it is changing, but we really wanted to actually extract more value from the things that we do. We did look at all of those other things. But at the end of the day, ice cream just seemed like something which, hey, you can't go too far wrong, can you? Everyone like, likes ice cream. I don't know many people that don't. Uh, yeah. And so it just seemed like a natural progression. And I guess the really big factor was that both Julian and I knew uh, a mutual friend who happened to know how to make ice cream. And so she had, she's a food technologist, and she had been involved in the ice cream industry for many years. And she's very good at what she does and she makes a quality product. So it just made sense. I mean, you know, I it only found out today when I was researching for this episode that New Zealand as a country consumes the most ice cream in the world. Like I did not know that. I thought maybe Indians do because I always just remember having lots and lots of kulfi growing up. Um, but uh, I must say that the ice cream I've had in New Zealand is just like a class apart. You know, it's just always so creamy and there's so many more exciting flavors going on. Like, did you have a lot of ice cream as a child? 
Uh, I guess so. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess we did. But uh, hey, uh, yeah, you're, you're dead right. New Zealand on a per capita basis is the highest, if not the second highest, uh, consumer of ice cream in the world. Uh, the second would be probably the United States. And mm. uh, you're right. It's, uh, it's certainly a great product. And that was another catalyst, or I guess another motivator for us to focus on generating an ice cream business. And that was the fact that we know we make a quality ice cream. And you certainly try ice creams in other parts of the world, and they aren't anywhere near the same. Yeah, they just kind of lack that substance. I mean, when I've had ice creams here, you know, they're just like, it's an experience. You can close your eyes and like just have it, you know. But when you have other ice creams in other parts of the world, I don't know, sometimes it ends up being more of like a disappointment, like you had all these expectations and they don't quite live up to it. Yeah, so we know that, you know, when we talk to tourists that come here, they say, well, that ice cream is amazing. I've never had anything like it. But, hey, we take it for granted. The reason for Mm -hmm. that, though, largely is twofold. The first one being uh, the quality of the ingredients that go into it. Uh, And the second one uh, is really just that, you know, we really focus on that creaminess and mm. texture and you get you, you will get a completely different mouthfeel for what you find in other places and bear in mind that we are using uh, good natural ingredients many other cases they're using reconstituted products yeah. and uh, you know we're using real milk and real cream so uh, straight from the farm yeah yeah I think there's two things there one is that it's kind of straight from the farm and it's not really I don't know like you know it's not been sitting there for a while traveling a lot of places and we'll we'll touch upon that but and like you said the second point is that it is made of like real milk and that makes a huge difference yeah sure um, rather than kind of dry reconstituted I don't know <laughs> don't want to think about that <laughs> so I mean you said that you know a major reason was that you guys knew the food technologist but aside from that was it hard getting into the ice cream business uh, or like given your dairy roots it was kind of like the next progression yeah, it's a progression, but hey, uh, what I will say, and I haven't been involved in a few startups before, uh, it always is more difficult than you expect, and it always yeah. costs more, and it always takes longer. <laughs> so these things are never easy, but then, hey, uh, I guess in our case, both Julian and I are probably reasonably easily bored, so we're always looking for something a little bit more challenging. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's a bit of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what about like the flavors? I mean, I see you've stuck to all the originals, but I was really curious to try this ginger biscuit one. That sounds interesting. How did you guys come up with the flavors? Did you have a favorite you wanted in there? Yeah, look, we, uh, we were always doing a little bit of new product development. And to be fair, that's crazy. Mm. That's, her, that's her forte and her specialty. At the end of the day, you can create some wacky flavors, but you've got to be able to sell them, and you've got to be able to sell them at sufficient scale to make it worthwhile. So, yeah, sure, we started with the traditional flavors, and you've got to have good vanilla ice cream, and you've got to have good chocolate. And so they're the two that were really our sort of our starters. Uh, From there, we've got the the real fruit uh, flavors, the passion fruit and the boysenberry. And the boysenberry is really important because Julian happens to grow boysenberries, and uh, it was really important that was part of the story as well. And then more recently, even the fruit then comes from from your farm. Sure. Yep. So wherever possible, we try and source local products from Appleby or nearby. Uh, Mm. But notwithstanding that, we always do try to make sure that we've got the very best ingredients. So, for example, uh, vanilla bean and stuff like that, we make sure that it's the best we can get. So the other flavors, Mm. you know, like coffee, uh, which is a really good one, one of my personal favorites. And then more recently, salted caramel. And most recently, ginger biscuit, which is, is, mm. is really popular. But what's really interesting yeah. is that, that 
that in one family you can find every member of the family will have a different favourite. So that's just the way it is, and that's quite good to have a bit of variety. Yeah, so my rule is that I will never have chocolate ice cream because I feel like chocolate should be experienced in its purity in chocolate form. And my husband always has chocolate ice cream, so he refuses to let me buy anything else. Um, but I'm always the one trying out the new flavours, so I'm definitely going to go buy some ginger biscuit. Cool. Yeah, please do. Um, <laughs> so tell us about this term cow to cone. I mean, I first heard about it on your website. Um, tell us a little bit about what it means for you. So one of the things we set out to do was to really tell our story. And it's really important that people understand that we are different uh, to a, a, you know, a, a, a massive ice cream manufacturing company, for example. And the reason for that is because we are able to control every part of the process. And so we do control the production end where we actually um, raise the cows, feed the cows, milk the cows, um, pr uh, transport the milk to the factory where we make our own ice cream uh, and then we distribute it. So actually we, we, we control virtually every part of the process right through to the consumer. It's a bit like the you know, um, paddock to plate type philosophy. This is the mm. cow, cow to cone. So... Um, and something a bit unique that uh, not many other ice cream manufacturers, if any in New Zealand for that matter, can attest to. Yeah. I, one is I love the term. Who came up with it? <laughs> well, that was a – yeah, that was a um, – <laughs> A few drinks or a marketing yeah, special? No, no, nothing like that. It was one of our one of our shareholders, actually, who just said, hey, this is uh, what we're trying to do, isn't it? So it sort of stuck. And it's noted that yeah. a few other places around the world, you'll see it popping up these days as well. Okay. Awesome. Um, I mean, I think it's amazing, you know, the fact, like you said, when you can control the whole process, what you do end up with is like a great and outstanding product. But what about some of the challenges? Because, you know, we talk about when we talk about in the context of businesses, often now, you know, businesses, small business owners are always encouraged to kind of outsource this, outsource that. Well, here you are doing something quite radically different to that and not outsourcing anything. I mean, it, it must come with its challenges as well, right? Well, I can tell you it comes at a cost. So um, we did look <laughs> at actually outsourcing in the early stages. And then when we did the numbers, we looked and thought, actually, with our growth expectations, um, you know, one day we're going to have to be in the position to build a factory anyway. Mm. And it just helped us with our authenticity a little bit too. And we also wanted to do a few things that were a little bit different. Uh, mm. which we might not have been able to do if we'd gone through a toll processor. So, mm. um, yeah, it's not without its challenges, but at the end of the day, we always set out to be uh, an export ice cream company. So uh, we wanted to build a brand and we wanted to share it with the world. So it was never just going to be something that was only going to be sold in, in Nelson. So we mm. did need to be able to have the scale and control uh, of that processing. Right. And I mean, that's amazing because now I was reading that now you guys are, when did you first become available into Singapore and now Australia as well, right? Yeah, so we've been in Australia since the beginning of this year, I think. Um, so 180 odd stores in Australia and uh, actually might be a bit longer than that. Uh, and in Singapore, uh, I guess it's 18 months or so uh, we've been, been over there. But one of the biggest challenges, as you all appreciate, has been the covid experience yeah of so course yeah. that's made it a little bit difficult certainly no one can travel and no one can 
and which is a lot more difficult to get in front of customers. Uh, mm. So that has been that has been a challenge, and I guess the other big challenge has just been around the food service market. So obviously during shutdown, a lot of our uh, market was disrupted, uh, mm. through the restaurant trade and that sort of thing. Yeah, but also, I mean, if you were supplying to supermarkets, would there have been an increase in demand? Like I certainly was having a lot of ice cream at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that's dead right. And uh, so uh, I guess it fits part of our target market, and that is around uh, creating a premium ice cream, which people love, uh, and mm. once they've tasted it, we hope that they keep coming back for more, and that's generally what we find. But also an ice cream where people... Uh, for example, they have friends around for a dinner party, things like that, and they want to have a, a dessert treat, and that's where they bring out our ice cream. So certainly through the supermarket trade, our sales have been strong as a result of okay. the take-home market. You did right. Mm, okay. And um, talking about the product quality, I was reading that your ice cream started winning awards within like six months of you starting. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Like, I mean, how important it is for a business to maybe take part in these awards or even just, you know, how that experience has been or what that's led to? Yeah, it was really key for us that it really validated our product. And mm. we knew it was a good product. We had done um, uh, taste testing and blind tastings with, with panels and, and such like and compared against our competitors. And so we knew that we were onto a winner, uh, but we did need to just have that validated through the Ice Cream Manufacturers Association Awards and so in that first year, first six months, we uh, we did that and we were fortunate enough to win, be the supreme award winner with our, with oh. our vanilla. So uh, that was great. And we've continued to pick up uh, medals along the way. Awesome. And so, so that was with your vanilla ice cream, which is, I guess, the most competed one. I mean, I guess that's the gold standard, right? Like you must have a good vanilla to begin yeah. with. <laughs> yeah, vanilla is, is essential. Vanilla and chocolate are the two, as I say, that you've just got to be strong in them because they're the two go-tos that – the majority of people will buy. Okay. So what I'd really like to know is how can I become my ice cream taster? But <laughs> um, The easiest way is to buy it. Just go and buy it. <laughs> um, but what's, what's next for Appleby? Like uh, what are your plans in the next five years? What markets do you hope to be in? So we've done quite a lot of uh, exploratory work in, in the markets and we've identified sort of four or five really key export markets. Uh, with COVID, that's been a little bit uh, disrupted, as I say, so we're just uh, biding our time a little bit there, but we know where we really want to focus. Uh, we've got to be careful, though, because some of these markets, you know, their taste preferences are slightly different to ours. And yeah. to be fair, you know, parts of Asia, they find our ice cream far too rich because they're certainly not used to it. So uh, we've got to be sensitive to those those markets, but uh, we're fortunate that we've got some good people and some good know-how and some good intelligence in those markets. So it is really about just growing the brand and um, and and sharing it with the world. Mm, awesome! That sounds very exciting, and um, I look forward to the day where I can. Although I'm planning on just living in New Zealand, but look forward to the day where I'm travelling and I can still have some Applebee wherever I go. Yeah, so be great. good luck. Jenny, um, now just before I let you go, um, it's my fa- time to ask like my favorite question on the show, which is what I call a fast food five, and that's five fast questions about food. So are you ready? Sure. Okay. So first question, do you like straight milk, flavored milk, or no milk? What What's your preference? <laughs> uh, straight milk, unadulterated, just pasteurized milk 
uh, straight from the cow. Awesome. And cone, cup or tub, your favorite way to have an ice cream? Uh, probably a cone, to be honest. Yep. Mm. I love a cone. I think for me, the cone is like equal parts. Like that also what makes a good ice cream, like a good cone is a must. Yeah. And the way they're put together and it, all, it reminds everyone of summer. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Your favorite dairy product of all time? Uh, well, I should say ice cream, but I've got to say a nice uh, blue cheese. Uh, mm, you can't beat okay. it. We interviewed someone who does amazing cheeses, so you should check them out. They're called Over the Moon Dairy. They do some amazing stuff. Will do. Mm. All right. And the greatest thing you feel about being a dairy farmer? Ah, okay. Um, well, there's more than one thing, though, to be honest. It is about uh, living and working in the countryside. It's about growing things. It's about working with animals. Uh, it's just about being a part of the natural environment. Mm -hmm. that, that does sound amazing. And being able to do things like park at the side of a road while looking at cows and mountains and record a podcast. <laughs> There you go. It's not all bad. <laughs> All right, and last question. I think you already answered it, but your favorite flavor of ice cream? Uh, it'd have to be coffee, to be honest. Appleby Farms mm -hmm. coffee, although it's quite nice with a combo of chocolate and vanilla. Ooh, that sounds nice. I like it with the combo of chocolate and vanilla. <laughs> no such thing as too much ice cream. Do try it. It's great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Murray, for coming on the show. It's been lovely talking to you. And all I now want to do is just get a cone of ice cream. So yeah. thank you so much for coming. Fantastic. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to the Kiwi Foodcast, brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Be sure to listen in next time for another helping of Kiwi Food Stories.